we finish the 21 days of prayer today, but we don't finish our study through the book of Ephesians. We continue on through the month of February and looking at the spiritual armor of the Lord. Every kid in the room here today has had somebody say to them, all right, everybody, we're going to take a picture. We're going to take a picture. Everybody get together here. We're going to take a picture. And every kid in the room has had somebody say to them in that moment, all right, everybody, right up, stand up right. Stand up right. Stop that. Stand up right. And I think there's bound to be in some kid in his mood that has responded by saying something like, what does that mean? How do we know what's right? What does that look like? And I know that there'd be a, a mom or a dad ready to correct, to give that answer. It, it, somebody decided for a picture of what it looks like to stand up right. Somebody has decided what it means to stand up right, how to hold your head, how to handle your posture, what to do with your hands. There's uh, an understanding of this is what it means to stand up right. Today I want to share a message with you that I just want to call stand up right. Stand up right. And the big idea for the message today is that to win the fight of our life, we must stand up right. To win the fight of our life, we must stand up right. And the only way to stand up right is for Jesus to stand for us and through us. So to win the battle of our life, we want to look and see what it says here about standing up right. Look in Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to pick up in verse 13. It says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And we stop there. We're in this series, Be Strong. Winning the fight of our life. We talked about being battle ready. To be battle ready, we stand strong in the Lord. We're to be strong in the Lord's strength. We armor up with the whole armor of God. We spent some time talking about our enemy, our opposition. And we see that our enemy, the, the devil, our opposition, that he's invisible and evil. And his goal is to destroy and to deceive. And he's strategic and he's seasonal. But praise the Lord, he's limited in his ability. And when we think about being battle ready, we understand our enemy. Last week we came to what it looks like to tighten up the belt of truth. And today we're going to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We're going to see what it means to stand up right. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was a, another piece of the armor that is in this metaphor of that's describing our spiritual battles in our everyday life against the devil. We talked about the belt, today the breastplate. The breastplate, in the most literal sense, you maybe glance at this screen behind me here and you see a breastplate underneath that title of our series, a breastplate made of steel, made of leather, and it covers 
the torso. It covers from neck down to the waist. It's a, and some soldiers, uh, historians tell us that that breastplate would have been made of steel. It would have been a plate of steel that would cover not just the front of the soldier, but also the back of the soldier. There was another kind of breastplate that soldiers wore in the day of the Apostle Paul, and that was a a breastplate that covered the front and the back, but not made of a sheet of steel. It was made of what would be called chain mail, M-A-I-L. And that's a, a, a shield that would have taken thousands of little rings of steel, and they would have been woven together till it looked like a mesh. And that mesh of steel rings would be flexible, it would be movable, it would allow the soldier to be nimble, they could move about, but it was thick enough and heavy enough and strong enough because of all the steel rings linked together that the enemy's weaponry would not be able to penetrate into the soldier's chest or back. This breastplate of that Paul speaks of here, you can... Just think through that and we understand that for it to cover this part of the body, what what was it doing? It was covering the core. It was a a covering, a protection for the core of the soldier. It would have been what covered the vital organs of their body. It was the piece of armor that covered the heart, that guarded their core, that guarded their heart. And according to Paul's teaching here in the word of Ephesians, the breastplate spiritually was to be made of righteousness. The guard for our heart, the guard for the vital spiritual organs of our life, the guard for our core of our very being is to be righteousness. And the enemy would want to attack us in our core to render us, uh, just to, to take out our life, to defeat us, to discourage us, to wipe us out, to suck the life out of us. And Paul says, for that battle against the enemy, we need this breastplate that covers our heart, that guards our core, and it is righteousness. Now, righteousness is a, a word that we associate with religion. There's not many ways the word righteous ever comes up in our language uh, that has something to do with anything that's not churchy or religious. I know there's some uh, exceptions to that over the years. I believe there was a phase people went through, maybe passed through California where a guy said, hey, that's righteous, dude. I believe there's a music group called the Righteous Brothers. But most of the time when the word righteous comes up, we think we're back in Sunday school or we're in a church setting. It's one of those words that we hear, we sing, we, we even express gratitude for it. But if you're like me, there have been a lot of years where I've heard the word, celebrated the word, but not so sure that word is one I could define or even understand why I should be so excited about it. But it sure is in there a lot. But there was this day. There was this day where, if any of you, you, you've been in this moment of studying the word, where I just, I'd call it as a a pastor that um, pushback from the desk moment. 
You know what I'm talking about? That moment where you're just pouring over the word and you're just reading it and you're studying it and you're thinking, there it is again. What is that? I don't know exactly. And, and you're just, there's that verse and that verse. Oh, man. Oh, Lord. You just push back from the desk and you're like, how have I never seen that? That's it. That is hallelujah. I mean, it's just this moment where it's like the spirit of God and the word of God come together in your heart. And it just in this moment of celebration, I, I, and, and I'm hoping and praying today as we work through this word with, with right, of righteousness that the spirit of God does that with the word of God this morning in your heart to where you're walking out of this room in a sense of celebration because of this privilege it is to wear the breastplate of righteousness. The word righteous has to do with a standard. If you literally said that uh, that piece of wood is righteous, what you would be saying is, is that that piece of wood held up next to a standard was exactly the same. It measured righteously. It matched the standard. The, the, we have standards in things of life, don't we? There are standard envelopes. You go into a store, you don't take a tape measure, you just need a box of standard envelopes. And you have a thought, you have an expectation of what those will be. There are standard doors for building houses. There are standard windows. Uh, there's standard paper. You buy a pack of uh, three-hole punched paper in one store. You travel across the country and you buy a three-ring binder. Your expectation is, is that that three-hole punched paper is going to fit right into perfection where those three rings are in that notebook. Why? Because there's a standard. It, it matches. When we're talking about righteousness spiritually, we're talking about the law of God, we're talking about rules, we're talking about holiness, we're talking about morals, actions. And when we say that uh, there's a standard for morality, there's a standard for holiness, we're referring to God and his law. And so to be righteous means that we perfectly match his standard of what's right. In the most simple way to understand righteousness, it helps me to, to just think of it in this way. Rightness. It helps you to take the E-O-U-S out. And if you have very close to exact what the meaning is, it's rightness. And for something to have rightness, for my life to have rightness. And God's view would be that I match his standard. Now he tells us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's a word that has to do with perfection. It has to do with holiness. And I hope maybe that that's creating a little bit of tension in your mind right now because if I'm supposed to wear the breastplate of righteousness and that means perfection, but I look at my life and I miss the mark. If I'm like Romans 3.23 that says for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Or fallen short of the standard of God. Fallen short of who God is. Then what hope is there that I can put on this breastplate? What hope is that I, is that I could stand before the enemy and win if I'm not meeting this perfect standard of righteousness? What are you going to do? 
need an answer, don't we? I want to talk to you about three kinds of righteousness. Number one. First of all, personal righteousness. Personal righteousness. You could put in parentheses beside that just these two words, self-righteousness. When I'm talking about personal righteousness, I'm talking about self-righteousness. I'm talking about my attempt to gain a right standing before God. My attempt to do enough rightness. My attempt to gain perfection, to get to a point of absolute holiness, to take the standard of what God says is right and the standard of what God says is wrong and my attempt to to get there and say, I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to get this right. I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm closer than I've ever been. Personal righteousness. It's rule keeping. It's law abiding. It's our pursuit to be good in order to appease God or please God or to look right. I don't know if we'll get back to it, but let me just say here, what the armor is talking about is not a righteousness that gains a right standing before God. It is a righteousness that guards us against the enemy. Personal righteousness, self-righteousness, an attempt to gain or do what is right, to be right with God. Um, We keep falling short. Matthew 5.20 in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is speaking hillside to a crowd of people. He makes this statement. Hear this. Matthew 5.20. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty raw, isn't it? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The scribes and the Pharisees, law keepers, rule followers. I mean, they, as far as they could tell outwardly, they were keeping every rule, every law. They would make up laws to keep more laws. And, and, and Jesus looks at that and he gives it to them. Yeah, you're, you're keeping some rules, you're keeping some laws. But I want to tell you, there's a righteousness that has to exceed even that in order for you to spend eternity in heaven. It's another verse in that same passage of scripture of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, Matthew 5, 48, you must be perfect. You must be perfect. And so he's, he's, he's really puts us in this place where we're wrestling through this personal righteousness. This brings in Isaiah 64. Do you have that passage? Let's look together in Isaiah 64. The prophet Isaiah is, is talking here to God and pleading for God to come down to, to do a work to save them, to help them. In Isaiah 64 verse 1. Isaiah says this, 64.1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence from of old, 
No one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you and your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. Just notice that's just plain spoken, isn't it? You hear what Isaiah is saying? He says, in our sins, we've been a long time. He's saying, God in heaven, we've been doing this a long time with you. We go after right, and we fall back. We go after right, we fall back. We go after right, we fall back. God, we've been sinning a long time. But you know what God's like? Yeah. Yes, you have. And Isaiah says, and shall we be saved? Is there any hope? He says, verse 6, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. The prophet raises for us the the diagnosis of our heart, of our life. We do some good things, we fall back. We do some good things, we fall back. And Isaiah says what it's come down to really is even our righteous deeds are just like a polluted garment. Or maybe you have a translation that says filthy rags. He said we're unclean. He's admitting what we have to admit, our personal righteousness in the presence of a holy God is like a polluted garment or a filthy rag. So I've done this as good. I did this as good. Well, what about this? He, comes, he says, look, even your righteousness that you do to try to gain, it's like a filthy rag. Years ago, living in Cleveland, Tennessee, we were just a few miles from Athens, Tennessee. In Athens, Tennessee, there's a Mayfield Dairy ice cream factory. And my friend, Starin Nichols, worked at Mayfield. And Starin said one day, he said, why don't you come up? You and Carla come, and I'll take you on a tour of the Mayfield uh, Dairy. And you got free ice cream. We're, we're in. That's all it took. We're there. We go and we go through the plant. We see where the milk comes in. We see the process where they're making chocolate milk. And some of you, you know what a brown cow is, an ice cream bar. And they're making them right there in Athens, Tennessee. And, and he's, I mean, we're just having the time of our life. And we're about to leave and we come to this one spot. And he says, come in here to the lab. And there was this lab we walked into and there was a door right into the processing line. And right there where the chocolate milk would come all the way through the process, come through the equipment, come off right before it was packaged, Starin's job was to pull bottles of that chocolate milk off the line, put it in the fridge, and then he would run tests on it all day long to make sure of what impurity level, what purity levels were there in that milk. And Starin said, come over here, I want, you, I want you to try something. And he opened the refrigerator and there were several bottles of that chocolate milk that had just come off the line just moments before and he said tasted this and he handed that chocolate milk to me and I tasted it and I was ruined 
ruined because every time from then on that I would taste Mayfield chocolate milk in the store, it tastes like a completely different product. Just the time from getting off the line right there to the time it would be in the store to be on my table just seemed like a completely different product. Here's why I want you to stay with me. In our life, in all of our seeking to do good, it's like we're still so far from the source that compared to what it was originally, it's ruined. It's like it's polluted. And that's where our hearts are. From that day that sin was committed in the the Garden of Eden to this day, it's like our righteousness has become like filthy rags compared to the purity and holiness and perfection of Almighty God. And what do we do? What are we going to do about that? We repent. We repent. We confess to the Lord what I've been trusting in, what I've been trying to do, what I've been trying to gain and and all of my good deeds and good things. Lord, I got to repent of that because in your view and compared to who you are, I fall short of your glory. We need to realize that good men go to hell. Good women go to hell. The only way we can be right with God is to do something about this righteous issue where we keep falling short of God's standard of perfection. My days, mom's here to to verify this, church was our life. So many just church who were, and, and there was a time when I was baptized as a kid and and I lived, hear me, a good life. And I went off to school. And my junior year in college, my life changed forever. And my heart changed. But up until that time, as a good guy, here's who I was. I was trying to do good and be good and keep people happy and make mom and dad at home excited and proud of me. And what happened was is that I became so proud of the things that I had never done and the things that I said I wouldn't do, that my goodness had become like filthy rags. And and I remember a day when the Lord showed me that my pride over the good things that I had done or the bad things that I had not done was just as wicked as those who had done the things that I said I would never do. It was all like filthy rags. And the only hope for me was to repent of my sin, to turn from that self-righteousness and turn somewhere else. And that's the second kind of righteousness. It's positional righteousness. Positional righteousness. And that's what we've been talking about for several weeks in Ephesians. The first three chapters of Ephesians speaks to us about positional righteousness. It is, a, it is described by us moving from a place of being dead in our sins to being alive in Christ. It's a new position, dead in our sins, new position, alive in Christ. 2 Corinthians, do you have that passage? Let's go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, from now on, therefore, 1 Corinthians 5, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is what? From God. There's the first clue. There's the first clue for us to have a righteousness that stands against the enemy. We're looking for something not that comes from self, but comes from God. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Remember those filthy rags? Remember that polluted garment? All those good things we do to try to gain iniquity, sin. He says he's not counting those trespasses against them. How? And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Here's the verse. Verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God amen that's that's the that's the glory that's the possibility of us being able to stand with a breastplate of righteousness and that is from us to go from a place of deadness in our sins self-righteousness to a place that through Christ we're given his righteousness. The technical term there for this giving of that righteousness to us is the word imputed. I-M-P-U-T-E-D. His righteousness is imputed to us. His righteousness is ascribed to my account. His righteousness is put on my chart. It's put on my heart. The Bible word there is justification. Where we, by faith in Jesus Christ, his righteousness is given to us. Therefore, God looks at us and he says, you are justified. He declares from heaven that my iniquities, my sins are no longer counted against me. What's counted for me is the very righteousness of Christ. That's a hallelujah. You see, we can't do it on our own. We can't win the battle of our life in our own strength or in our own righteousness. Look at that cross. That cross is an emblem, is a picture to remind us of what Jesus Christ did. Lived a sinless life. And he went to a cross and he was nailed there. He took his last breath there. He shed his blood for us there. On a cross. And that payment of his blood was a payment for your sin. For the debt of your sin. For the debt of my sin. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. He paid the wage of our sin. He paid the debt of your sin. But that's not all. He dealt with the debt. 
of our sin, but that still leaves us here, not reconciled to God. And the way we can be reconciled with God is in paying for his, our debt of sin. He gave to us his rightness, his When I arrived at Auburn as a freshman, my brother had been there four years. And there's no question about this. Uh, Jeff, he went into Auburn with one goal. And that was, to, well, not just one goal, but he went to Auburn and he said, I'm going to meet every person on this campus. I want to know everybody's name and they're going to know me. And he's a friendly guy, outgoing guy, and he, he was like, he was a big man on campus. And I showed up. And I get there after he's been making his mark for four years, and I walk into the place. And when I walk into that environment, before I can even hardly get Carlos out, it's, you're Jeff's brother. Oh, you're Jeff's brother. Hey, man, come, you're Jeff's brother. And for just Jeff's brother. And, and wherever I go, it was like I was welcomed in, I was called in, I was invited in, I was picked for things because I was Jeff's brother. Every door opened because of his reputation. In fact, listen, when I was a freshman, I've been like there for like nine months, and they picked ten freshmen to this honorary that has demonstrated something in just nine months, and they take your picture and honor you and put you in the yearbook and big guy. And I remember when I was chosen for that, looking at that thinking, what a joke. <laughs> There's one reason that I was picked nine months into my freshman year for that honorary. And his name was Jeff. <laughs> they didn't know me. But what they assumed was what they knew about him. Stay with me. They imputed to my account. You see, when we stand before the Father and our faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, the Father sees the Son and He declares us righteous. Not because of what we've done, because of what Jesus has done. It's a good word. Listen, how do we stand? How do we stand against the enemy? We need the positional righteousness that comes of being in Christ. So if we got personal righteousness this morning, what do we need? We need to repent. If we want this positional righteousness, what do we need to do? We receive what Jesus Christ has done and the gift of righteousness that he offers to us. Last Practical righteousness. Practical righteousness. Our positional righteousness is to continue and to be lived out in practical righteousness. Second Corinthians, continuing in chapter 6. It, it says, 
working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. He said, don't take this positional righteousness in vain. How does it, how's it lived out? In a favorable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Verse 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. The Apostle Paul is saying what we've sought to do in our positional righteousness is to live that out in our practical righteousness so that in our pursuit of holiness and our devout living, it won't trip you up. And we won't be tripped up. And he goes on and he says, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. You see... He's saying to us that that positional righteousness that is for eternal life, practical righteousness is for everyday life. And as we live out this pursuit of holiness and pursuit of righteousness, what we're doing is, is that more and more we're bringing our practical righteousness in line with our eternal positional righteousness. And that becomes a breastplate for us. And as we stand with the breastplate of the righteousness that's given to us in Christ, we live righteously. We pursue holiness. We make right choices. Why? Because it builds for us in that everyday life, that breastplate that withstands the attack of the enemy. With, with personal righteousness, we need to repent. With positional righteousness, we receive. And what do we need to do with practical righteousness? We reflect. In our speech, in our kindness, in love for others, in circumstances that can overwhelm us. We pursue holiness. We reflect who Christ is. And my brother, man, it's crazy. I'm going on his name. And when I didn't know who I was, that was fine because I could just do what he did. He was a horticulture major. Horticulture major. He plays the fraternity his sophomore year. Plays the fraternity my sophomore year. He was a Fiji at Auburn. I was a Fiji at Auburn. He would, mom can tell you this is true. She paid the bills. She uh, he starched his khaki duckhead pants and his Land's End blue button-downs. Starts my khaki pants and my button-downs. He loved to eat on Thursday night at Country's Barbecue, all you could eat. Thursday night, we're going to Country's. And what was I doing? I was just reflecting, really, who he was. And our life was we have Christ as our righteousness, everyday life, our goal is to reflect who he is. It puts the breastplate of righteousness on our life practically. And here's what happens, and we'll come to a close. 
when we reflect the righteousness of Christ in everyday living, we deflect the attacks of the enemy in everyday battles. When you reflect the righteousness of Christ in everyday living, we deflect the attacks of the enemy in everyday battles. What happens? What happens is as you choose righteousness and you reflect Christ, the enemy comes and it's like his fiery darts just hit that breastplate of righteousness and fall off because they can't get any traction because that's not who you are. The more in line our practical righteousness is with our positional righteousness, the greater victory we experience. So today, let me ask you, do you need to repent and receive Jesus so that you can reflect Christ in everyday living? That's how you win the fight for your life. I want to invite you today, if you want to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, to come find me here at the front and let me help you do that before we leave. And the Lord's spoken to your heart about bringing your positional righteousness and your practical life righteousness in line. There's some armor you need to put on. There's some work you need to do before the Lord. Would you come this morning as we sing and kneel across this front or get in your chair and kneel there. Let's take some time. Let's take some time to be obedient to the Spirit of God right now. Let's stand to your feet. They're going to lead us as we sing. You respond, you pray, you sing. Let's put on the breastplate of righteousness. If we confess our sins to the Lord, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come as the Lord leads.